Chapter Twelve of the Keynote by Clara Louise Burnham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christy Luther. Chapter Twelve Cousin Herbert. Arrived at the hotel in Boston, an inquiry for Herbert Loring revealed that he was still there, but indisposed and not seeing visitors. In the suite Diana engaged, the two friends discussed ways and means, and it was decided that Diana should write a note to the invalid and make herself known. "'My dear Mr. Loring,' she wrote, "'I might perhaps call you Cousin Herbert, for I believe my father, Charles Wilbur, claims relationship, and, if you grant me permission, I certainly shall do so.' I believe you and my father had time to see something of one another, before Steele swallowed him up and you became absorbed in railroads. My mother is at our cottage in Newport, and is wondering whether you could be induced to visit us when father returns from a cruise he is taking. I am here in the hotel for a short time, and would like very much to call on you, if there is some half-hour when you would feel like seeing a relative even though you could not grant a similar privilege to an outsider. I shall be so glad if you can allow me to make your acquaintance. It would be a satisfaction to my parents to hear from you by word of mouth. My mother saw by the papers that you were back in this country, and she wrote me of it. I have been on the islands in Casco Bay, where one gets very near nature's heart, the best thing that can happen to a tired schoolgirl. Kindly let me hear from you, and I shall be grateful if you will see me. After all, though we are strangers, blood is thicker than water. Yours cordially, Diana Wilbur This is most extraordinary. Upon my word it is most extraordinary, was Herbert Loring's comment when he had read this communication. His words might have been addressed to the thin air, or to Marlet, his man, and Marlet knew by experience that it was well not to appropriate them until he had received some further hint. So he stood at attention and looked with interest at the view from an opposite window. His employer was a haggard man, with a white moustache and grey hair. He was immaculately groomed, and was seated in a reclining chair, his feet supported on the footrest. He wore a rich dressing-gown of grey silk. One noticed that his left arm was never raised, but with his right hand he now stroked his moustache. There were pouches under the eyes he lifted to his valet. "'Here is a schoolgirl in the hotel who wants to come to see me. Says she's my cousin.' I'm a nice figure to receive a schoolgirl. Marlet raised his eyebrows. You are certainly in shape to receive anybody, sir. But this young lady, may she be an impostor, sir? No, I think not. Marlet perceived that the note was an agreeable incident. She says she is the daughter of Wilbur, the Philadelphia steel man. It's odd that they should not have forgotten me. 
begging your pardon sir i think if you were not so determined to deny yourself to friends you would find that no one who had once known you would have forgotten the sick man glanced back at the note in his lap it escaped him on the slippery silk and he made an involuntary effort with the useless arm to recover it he frowned and marlet stooping quickly picked up the sheet and restored it the invalid read the letter once again send word to this young lady that i will see her at three-thirty to-day he said at last with much rejoicing diana when she had received this word arrayed herself for the call she wore a thin grey gown with a rose at the girdle and mrs lowell regarding her with admiration thought no one could be better equipped externally to win the fastidious masculine heart herbert loring thought so too when at the appointed hour she entered his room and he received a swift impression of her fine quality welcome my little cousin he said as he met her eyes and the serene and charming smile irradiating her youthful beauty i am a useless hulk can't get out of this chair without help so you will pardon me she put her hand in the one he offered and marlet placed a chair beside him in such fashion that she faced him that makes it the more gracious of you to receive me she replied i should never have known what i missed had i refused he said gallantly my friend wilbur has a very beautiful daughter marlet disappeared into the next room and diana blushed even in spite of sunburn she said i was really touched cousin diana that your parents should remember me sufficiently for you to take the trouble to come to see me it is a long time since anything has pleased me so much i have been such a rover that i am a stranger in my own land diana had not expected to feel guilty of false pretenses but this speech accused her even while it lent her increased courage since his was a heart that could be touched i hope you will visit us she said after i return to newport are you on your way there now no not quite yet it is difficult to tear oneself away from casco bay after one once falls under the spell loring nodded i know the environment very piney and fresh and all that cold water though very cold yes but we all take dips in it youth said the sick man shaking his head youth if one does not swim i know it is quite too cold said diana i am glad you are familiar with that country for then you can sympathize with my enthusiasm i long to have a place there of my own and perhaps with such congruity of taste you and i together can persuade my parents that it would not be too erratic in me to buy a part of that green hill and be there a little while every year the invalid nodded i'll say amen to anything you indicate 
he returned readily. How devoutly Diana hoped this promise might be kept. I have another reason for being glad to meet a man relative just now, she went on. There are some people at the inn where I am staying who present such a strange problem. When injustice is obviously being done, one longs to help. Her companion nodded. That is natural, but usually futile, he said. It is a very good rule to keep off the grass. Yes, but this affair makes me very unhappy, Cousin Herbert. A shame, he returned, and would like to have patted her pretty hand, but she was on his left side. Too bad there is always some serpent in paradise. Don't be too tender-hearted, my dear. Don't be too tender-hearted. It doesn't pay. Of course, wherever you go, people will try to lay you under tribute. You must learn to wear an armor, a full suit of chain armor, under your dainty costumes. This is not a question of money, said Diana, her heart beating faster, and, for the first time, she quaked at the full realization of her errand. "'Would you let me tell you about it, Cousin Herbert?' "'Why, of course, my child. "'If it is any satisfaction to you "'to confide in such a useless old cripple "'as I have become.' "'You are far from that,' returned the girl, "'steadying the voice which threatened to waver. "'Your opinion on the subject "'will be very valuable to me.' The sick man lifted his heavy eyebrows and smoothed his moustache. "'Then proceed, by all means,' he said. "'One thing I have in tragic abundance is time, and I am flattered.' "'There is a man at our inn,' began Diana, her fingers tightly intertwined in her lap, "'who has a young boy in his power. The lad is his nephew. He shows every sign of years of neglect. The uncle continually betrays himself, and scarcely tries to hide the fact that he is looking forward to incarcerating the boy in some institution for the deranged. Simply to get rid of him? No. There is money back in the family somewhere, and we, I, have come to the conviction that this man believes the boy will fall heir to it, and that, if he is safely out of the way, the uncle as guardian will get control of this money. What sort of mentality does the boy seem to have? He is a sensitive, fine-grained lad, with just the sort of nature which persistent brutality will blight and paralyze. He has been so neglected that he has little physical resistance, and one can see him being gradually crushed with as little hope of escape as the fly in the spider's web. "'And you take it greatly to heart, eh?' said the invalid, regarding the girl's flushed face and appealing eyes. "'Wouldn't anyone?' she asked. 
a confounded nuisance to have such a circumstance mar your vacation oh think of the boy's side of it cousin herbert you want my opinion i think the law could take a hand there yes but the law is so slow diana swallowed so near a relative as an uncle own brother to the boy's father can put up a hypocritical fight and establish a very strong claim herbert loring shook his head my dear child in your position if you begin on this quixotic business there will be no end to it believe me you can't right all the wrongs in the world and you will have the pack in full cry after you if it is known that you have let down the bars you can state this case to a lawyer and put it in his hands with the understanding that you will pay the bills but your identity must be kept secret then let them fight it out you can't do any more than that a pity i didn't know you were here this morning my lawyer was with me the speaker's tired eyes smiled and the corners of his moustache lifted slightly i have celebrated my return by destroying my will and the new business was to have been finished this morning but i was uncertain about some matters that the lawyer is looking up to-day he'll come to-morrow morning to draw up the new will and before he goes i will send for you and you shall tell him about your boy and his ogre of an uncle diana's heart was beating fast now she summoned all her courage what is so exciting to me cousin herbert she began and he wondered to hear the wavering in her voice is that lately i have learned that this lad is related to someone rich and powerful who could rescue him at once a puzzled frown came in loring's forehead anyone i know he asked surely or i should not trouble you at a time when you are not feeling strong cousin herbert this neglected boy belongs to you he is your grandson diana unconsciously stretched her clasped hands toward him a strange white change came over her listener's face and the expression that awoke in the eyes that met hers was terrible to her this is the explanation of your desire to make my acquaintance he said in a changed voice she was so frightened that she seemed to hear her own heartbeats the boy's name is gain herbert loring gain she went on desperately miss wilbur you have ventured in where angels would fear to tread said the sick man sternly but you awake no memory that room where you intrude is bare and empty you he is talented pleaded diana very talented as an artist any family might be proud to own him and bring him out of a cellar into the sunshine think of the interest in life it would give you think it over cousin herbert just be willing to see him once while she was talking her companion touched the bell on the table beside him 
and the words died on her lips as the valet came into the room. "'I am tired, Marlet,' said the invalid huskily. "'Miss Wilbur is ready to go.' His head fell back against a down pillow. "'Pardon my not attending you to the door,' he added, ignoring the girl's wet-eyed confusion. She gathered herself together and rose. "'Thank you for allowing me to come in,' she said, inclining her head, and then she turned toward the door which Marlet held open. She continued to hold her head high until she reached her own apartment, where Mrs. Lowell was waiting. The latter started to her feet as she viewed her friend's entrance and noted her excited color and trembling lips. Diana succeeded in uttering one word. Hopeless! Then she succumbed into Mrs. Lowell's arms, and fell into wild weeping on her shoulder. Led to a couch, she lay upon it and continued weeping while Mrs. Lowell sat beside her and held her hand comfortingly. "'We did right to come, however,' she said, when, after a time, the girl was quiet. "'And you fulfilled your duty bravely in going to him. You cannot tell what fruit your visit may bring forth. Don't try to tell me about it now. He has suffered a terrible wound to his pride and heart, and even after many years it could smart when touched. We mustn't be discouraged. Our mission is a righteous one, and so God is on our side. And if we don't accomplish the child's deliverance in this way, we shall in some other way. I am going to read you one of the most inspired and inspiring poems ever written. And, taking up her Bible, Mrs. Lowell turned its pages and read aloud the ninety-first psalm. At seven o'clock they had dinner served in their room, and Diana recounted her experience with the invalid before they retired for the night. Mrs. Lowell again talked to her calmly and comfortingly, and the girl's mortified pride and disappointed heart finally quieted, and she slept. The next morning the two friends discussed plans over the breakfast which was served in their room. When later the waiter arrived to carry away the tray, he was so full of news that he was obliged to speak. "'Big excitement in the house,' he said. "'Gentleman dead in his bed. Big man, too. Used to be president of a big railroad. Wouldn't wonder if the papers had extras out in a few minutes.' Diana caught Mrs. Lowell's hand, and the latter spoke to the man. "'What name?' "'Why, it's Herbert Loring. I guess that'll make some stir.' It certainly made some stir in Diana's heart. It was throbbing. When the waiter had left the room she lifted horrified eyes to her friend. "'Do you think I killed him?' she murmured. "'No, no, dear child. "'I noticed he was paralyzed on one side,' said the girl. "'But the valet will tell them that I excited him so that he dismissed me. "'Shall I pay our bill and we go away at once?' "'Just as you like, dear.' "'I couldn't do that,' said Diana suddenly. 
I cannot be a coward. Then let us stay right here, said Mrs. Lowell quietly. You may be questioned, and it will be better to be found easily. I suppose there will have to be an inquest or some such formality. Oh, this is dreadful, exclaimed the girl. If my mother knew this, she would never allow me to escape from under her wing again. She has a horror of anything even unconventional. Just be calm and strong in the right, Diana, and if any one comes to question you, try not to lose your self-control. I know you have a great deal. I shall stay beside you. Yes, I beg of you not to leave me. Poor Mr. Loring, poor Cousin Herbert, how much sorrow he must have had, so proud a man to become helpless. Only five minutes later, two cards were presented at the door. One was that of a doctor, the other of a lawyer. Mrs. Lowell sent word that the men were to be admitted. Diana had on the peach-colored negligee, and when the two callers were ushered into the living-room of her suite, they found a pale, large-eyed girl standing with their cards in her hand. End of chapter 12